You are listening to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are in the second portion of Parashat Korach. In the previous section, we learned that the rebellion, while formulated in terms of issues that have existed since the beginning of Sefer B'midbar, seem in fact to be in the aftermath of the sin of the spies and the disappointment with Moshe's leadership. The rebellion appears to consist of at least two groups, Korach and his cohorts, stressing the holiness of the nation and the question of who needs to be Kohanim, and on the other side, Datan and Aviram, who outright attack Moshe for failing to lead the people into Israel. Moshe decides that confrontation is not avoidable, and the Ketorah test will take place the next day, Machar. After Moshe's challenge that the Ketorah test will take, take place the next day, we now resume with verse 18 and the response of Korach's camp. Vaykhu ishmachtato. So they each took his own censer, pan, and put fire on it, and laid incense on it, and they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moshe and Aharon. Thus Korach assembled all the congregation against them, at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the glory of Hashem appeared to all the congregation. The Torah describes Korach and his 250 men prepared for the Ketorah test. When? The Torah doesn't say. One possibility is that the Torah did not say, but since we know that the invitation was for tomorrow, as Moshe stated, we can assume that this is what happened. However, the suddenness of the transition, the fact that the words the next day, don't appear in the Torah, raise question marks as to the veracity of this assumption. Was it the next day? Did the rebels listen to Moshe? Or perhaps were they rebels? They took Moshe's challenge, and perhaps they expedited it. Perhaps they did not wait for the next day, but met Moshe's challenge and raised the stakes by having it take place immediately. How did they accomplish that? They did not come alone. Korach brought the entire Eda, ostensibly the entire nation, and forced Moshe's hands to go to an immediate confrontation. God's response is to reveal his glory to the entire nation. What does that mean? In Parashat Shlach, when the nation is complaining and ready to appoint a new leader, and on the verge of stoning Yoshua and Kalev, there too God's glory is revealed to the entire nation. God's next words are that he wants to destroy the entire nation. The revelation of God's glory is a sign of anger, perhaps, rebuke, and certainly punishment. Here, too, the revelation of God's glory to the entire nation seems to imply anger towards the entire nation, this nation that is siding with Korach against Moshe. Verse 20. Vaidaber Adonai el Moshe velaharon lemor. He badelu mitocharida hazot, vahale otam keraga. Vaipalu al penehem vayomeru. El elohea ruhot lechol basar. Haish ehad yeheta vialkol haida tiktsof. Then Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aharon, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? 
What exactly transpires in these verses? A surface read of the text will essentially say the following. The nation sided with Korach. God is angry at the nation and wants to destroy the entire nation and tells Moshe and Aharon to separate from them so he can destroy them. Moshe and Aaron intercede on behalf of the nation and put the blame on Korach. One person is sinning. Don't punish the entire nation. God, as in the sin of the golden calf and the sin of the spies, agrees to spare the entire nation. There are two reasons to question this interpretation. Number one, in the two previous occasions in which God threatened to destroy the nation, the entire nation, the sin of the golden calf and the sin of the spies, the interaction between God and Moshe is much more expansive as warrants such a serious threat. Moshe is told in those instances, and I will make you into a greater nation instead, because if you're destroying the nation, something has to come to replace this nation. No similar statement is said in this event. To ward off the punishment, Moshe needs to evoke the desecration of God's name in the eyes of the other nations of the world. Nothing similar is said here. The word Eida in this parasha, who does it refer to? Let's take a look. In, in the 20 verses prior to this verse, the word Eida or Adat appears nine times. Five times it refers indeed to the entire nation, and four times it refers to the Eida of Korach, Korach's congregation. When on the tenth time God charges Moshe to separate from this Eida, might it not refer to Adat Korach? And perhaps Moshe was mistaken when he prayed for the entire nation, thinking it referred to the entire congregation? Rabbeinu Hananel takes this approach. Moshe understood that God wanted to destroy the entire nation and prayed for them, when in fact God meant to destroy Adat Korach, which when he saw that Moshe misunderstood, he clarified it in verse 24, which we will shortly read. The Ramban rejects this interpretation entirely. It is inconceivable that Moshe misunderstood God's words. Moshe is a prophet. If prophecy is unclear, then that undermines the entire institution of prophecy. If we think about the meaning of this with regard to Akedat Yitzchak, that perhaps Avraham misunderstood God's words when he told him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, then the, the Akedat Yitzchak loses its entire meaning. Avraham just misunderstood. Number two, the Eidah refers to the entire nation, states the Ramban. But this second point, we have already argued against the Ramban and proven that the Eidah in this section is somewhat up for interpretation. Perhaps we, one can suggest a third interpretation. The term Eidah was used to be intentionally vague. God's anger against Korach's Eidah is clear and obvious. They are the rebellion against Moshe and ultimately against God. But the nation, by not siding with Moshe, and even worse, by apparently siding with Korach, to some extent are guilty in this incident as well. The use of the unclear word Eida is intentionally unclear to make it clear that God's anger towards the nation is definitely a viable and reasonable option, even if they are not actually in the front of the rebellion. And on some level, it makes sense to present them as guilty alongside Korah.
According to the Ramban, this verse is a change of plan. God was going to destroy the nation, and now he focuses only on the leaders in the aftermath of Moshe and Aharon's prayer. According to Rabbeinu Hananel, this verse is a clarification of the plan. God never intended to destroy the nation, only the rebel leaders. An additional point to note. We are about to see that two different ends will befall the two groups within the rebellion. One relates to the offering of the Ketoret. In the first section of the parasha, the argument was made in the name of the Ramban that Moshe was the initiator of the Ketoret test without a directive from God. A different fate will befall Datan and Aviram as begins to unfold in our verse. Who is the initiator of this fate? As we read in verse 23, God. God commanded everybody to go around the dwelling of Korach, Datan, and Aviram. Let us retain this distinction for a later discussion. Verse 25. I believe that we didn't translate verse 23 and 24, so we'll read it all together with verse 25. Then Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the congregation saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korach, Datan, and Aviram. Then Moshe arose and went to Datan and Aviram with the elders of Israel following him. Let us note the beginning of a fascinating phenomenon in the story. The previous verse described the congregation congregating around the dwelling of Korach, Datan and Aviram. The verse we just read, verse 25, describes Moshe and the elders going to Datan and Aviram. What happened to Korach? The second half of the verse contains a subtle but significant point. In our discussions about Shlach, we pointed out sadly how alone Moshe was. All the various groups of potential leaders made no appearance. We described it as a deafening silence. Here, while the nation seems to have Korach's back, to the extent that perhaps they were on the chopping block and God was ready to destroy them, the elders have Moshe's back, literally. Which elders? The 70 from Parshat Behalotcha? That's a logical conclusion. Is it the elders from Sefer Shmot? Possible. Is it the judges that Moshe appointed in Parshat Yitro? Also a possibility. In any case, in this tragic parasha, which reflects the depth of how bad the situation is in the nation, as we have learned and will learn, this verse is a beacon of light. The elders are returning to their role in supporting Moshe and his leadership. This is the blossoming of a process that will express itself fully at the end of Bemidbar, at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. But for now, we go back to the point that they are congregating around Korach, Tatan, Aviram, and Korach disappears. This is something we're going to have to uh, follow in the upcoming Psukim. Verse 26. Vaidaber el Haida le mor, Suruna me al Ahulei ha anashim harishaim ha ille, the al tigeru behola sherlahem, penti safu behol hatotam. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing that belongs to them, or you will be swept away 
in all their sin. More precisely than what we said regarding verse 24, suruna is another way of say, formulating hibadilu, separate yourselves. According to Rabbeinu Hananel, as we've said, this is a clar- clarification of hibadlu. According to Ramban, this is a change of plan. Verse 27. So they got back from around the dwelling of Korach, Datan, and Aviram. And Datan and Aviram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. The phenomenon pointed out previously has returned. At the beginning of the Pasuk, we say the dwelling of Korach, Datan, and Aviram. And in the subsequent half of the verse, we, we describe Datan and Aviram alone coming out. What happened to Korach? Is Korach with Datan and Aviram or not? Let us recall that in verses 16 to 19, which we previously read, it clearly described Korach with the 250 leaders with their pans and the ketoret. In any case, the Tanda Naviram's arrival on the scene is very extreme. It's with their wives, their children. They're all out there fighting with Moshe and taking their places. Verse 28. Moshe said, By this you shall know that Hashem has sent me to do all of these deeds, for this is not my doing. This verse is the crux of the debate. Is Moshe a dictator acting to serve his personal needs? Or has he been God's representatives the entire time? The choice of roles within the nation. Moshe's favorites, Aharon, the Leviim, Bnei Kehat, his family, or divine choices. Verse 29. If these men die the death of all men, or they suffer the fate of all men, then Hashem has not sent me. But if Hashem brings out about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned Hashem. A choice is given. Two things may happen to the Tanan of Iram each leading to different conclusions. Is Moshe making things up? Was he not sent by God? Or did these people anger God and, and, and God sent Moshe? Verse 31. <speaking in Hebrew> Verse 
פנטיב לעינו הארץ, ואיש יצאה מאת אדוני, ותאכל את החמישים ומאתיים איש מקריבי הקטורת. As he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korach with their possessions. So, so they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from Hashem and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. A cursive read of these dramatic verses, of the most dramatic verses in the Torah, depict the end of two groups. One group that includes Datan and Aviram, and perhaps Korach, were swallowed up by the earth. A second group, which includes the 250 leaders offering Ketorot, and perhaps Korach, were killed by a divine fire. The ambivalence and intentional lack of clarity regarding Korach's fate is expressed equally by two opposite opinions in Sanhedrin. One opinion states Korach was both swallowed and burned. The second opinion states Korach was neither swallowed nor burned. He appears to be with both groups. He appears to be with neither. He belongs with the 250 who are challenging the institution of Kehuna and their desire to serve God. And he belongs with the Tanan Aviram who are undermining Moshe, his leadership, and the entire enterprise of the exodus from Egypt. He belongs with both. And, as a result, he belongs with neither. In addition to these two groups, Korach's place aside, there is one more group described in verse 34, the nation. The nation runs away fearing their lives. We will mention this point and return to it. The drama of these verses is also in the miracle that transpired itself, but it is amplified by the clear comparison to the splitting of the sea. Let us note the following. The miracles both involve giants of nature, the earth and the sea, opening up and swallowing the bad guys, the Egyptians and Datan and Aviram. But beyond this external but correct observation, there are several intertextual connections as well. Let us note, in Shmot Yudalit 14, where the splitting of the sea is described, B'nai Yisrael complain, Why have you taken us out of Mitzrayim? What have you done to us? So too, in our chapter, in verse 13, that Han and Aviram formulate their complaint, Is it not enough that you took us out of the land flowing of milk and honey, referring to Egypt? So in both instances, we have a complaint, why did we leave Egypt? In both the verb bet kuf ein, describing splitting, in verse 16 in chapter 14, Raise your staff and place your hand over the sea and split the sea. And in verse 21, The the water is split. So too, in our chapter, verse 31, 
in in Shmot, the verb anus, anus, running away, is stated by the Egyptians. In verse 25, Vayomer Mitzrayim anusa mipnei Israel. Mitzrayim said, I will run away from Israel. And so too, in verse 27, the Egyptians fled towards the waters that came back upon them. So to Bayas, as we stated, they ran away to the voice, to the loud voice, the loud noises of the splitting of the earth. In verse 28, the waters returned and covered the chariots, and the men riding the horses, and so too, by us, Vatechas Alehem Haaretz, in verse 33. As to the purpose of the splitting of the sea, God says, V'yad'u Mitzrayim ki ani Hashem, and the Egyptians will know that I am God, and so too, Moshe, in describing the purpose of splitting the ground says, ki Hashem shlachani. With this you will know that God has sent me. In verse 27, we have an interesting term, Vayashov hayam lifnot boker le'etano. It returned to its strength, it returned to its original position. And here, not in the verses itself, but the Midrash Lekachtov, on the on the words vatechas alehem haaretz uses the unusual term sheshava leitana it returned to its original strength mimicking the language of the splitting of the sea and apparently noticing the connection between these two great events beyond the connection there is a deep and tragic message in this connection the torah doesn't just merely connect two events to make an interesting note. There always has to be a message when we find intertextuality. The splitting of the sea was a miracle that was done for B'nai Israel against the Egyptians to communicate a message to the Egyptians that they shall know God. B'nai Israel of the generation who left Egypt, sadly, never stopped saying, why did we leave Egypt? They said it at the splitting of the sea. They said it in the wilderness when they didn't have what to eat. They said it in the wilderness when they didn't have water. When all of those problems were solved, they said it in uh, Midbar, Paran, when they didn't have meat to eat, enough meat to eat. They continued complaining, why did we leave Egypt? This became the refrain of that generation that left Egypt. This ultimately climaxed in the sin of the spies when they said, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And finally, in the words of Datan and Aviram, their active pursuance of this goal by calling Egypt, Let us really go to the land of milk and honey and replace Moshe. This attitude is finally answered in this story. B'nai Israel, the nation, you want Egypt so bad, you constantly complain about, it was better in Egypt, let's go back to Egypt. They ultimately get what you ask for. You now become Egypt. 
mirroring the splitting of the sea. The splitting of the earth was a miracle that was done for Moshe against the nation to communicate a message to them. Moshe was sent by God. Lest one say that it wasn't aimed at the nation, just to a small slice, Datan and Aviram, perhaps Korach and their families. Recall verse 34. The nation ran away just as the Egyptians ran away. While the nation didn't share the ultimate fate of the Egyptians, only Datan and Aviram and their families, perhaps Korach, their guilt in this rebellion is addressed in a less severe punishment, but punishment nonetheless. And this mirrors the idea we mentioned about the Eidah. The confusing use of Eidah, the entire nation or just Korach's rebellious group, expresses the same idea. The nation too is guilty as accessories or silent participants or supporters of the rebellion. So in this section we have focused on the splitting of the earth compared it to the splitting of the sea. We mentioned, we read the verse describing the other outcome of the other group, the 250 men consumed by the divine fire, and we will need to focus on that in the next section.